Man, is it good to be home. When we just drove into College Station Friday night, it was great. The allergies are killing me, but we're going to walk through this. Uh, turn to 2 Corinthians. We're going to walk through what I think is the most unusual book Paul ever wrote. Now, before we get there, we're going to do a new thing on Wednesday nights. We're going to be meeting in the gym. But what I'm going to do is for the next probably two years, we're going to walk through the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. There are some books like Genesis that'll take two or three Wednesdays to walk through. We're not going to do verse by verse like I do on Sunday mornings. We're going to do an overview of those books. I want us to get a good grasp so that in two years we understand where this book fits, why it fits, what's the purpose in here. So I want us to walk through that. We're going to take about two years and do that on Wednesday nights. Then we're going to take about two years on Sunday morning and walk through 2 Corinthians. Now this is a really unusual book. Virtually every other book Paul writes it has a very easy sequence in it. For example, even 1 Corinthians, he deals with this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem. When he writes Ephesians, he has three chapters of theology. Then he has a little word in the Greek, un, therefore. Then he has three chapters of how you're supposed to live based on that theology. This book is like the book of Hebrews. It's almost impossible to, to read it in sequence. And the reason is because he's writing out of this incredible passion in his life. He's got several issues that have all hit at one time. We're going to look next week at the fact that he will say that he thought he was going to die. Well, something's happened to him that made him think his life was over. Secondly, he's got a personal issue in that, we'll see that in chapter 12, where God took him to heaven and he got so puffed up about it that God brought a disease into his life and Paul prayed for God to take it away and God said, won't do it. It had to have been one of three things, either crippling arthritis, a damaged eyesight, or epilepsy. One of the things he says a couple times in the New Testament, when he dictates his letters, and he'll say, see my own hand, so he could barely write. He deals with that. He deals with the fact that he loves this church, and they are just troubled. And so he, uh, Titus has met him. And Titus has said, man, this is a problem. And so Paul's crushed because of what's going on in the church. And then lastly, as happened in Galatia, there's a group of Jewish, how can I say this? King James only Christians. (laughs) Who have followed behind him and they they haven't been able to talk to the Corinthians, obviously, into circumcision. But they are just bad-mouthing Paul. They're just ripping him apart. They said his letters are weighty, but his physical appearance isn't much. I remember back in the Acts of Thecla, a secular uh, little, little writing back in that day, it says that Paul was short and bald. <laughs> but it doesn't say anything about being muscular. So. <laughs> so they're just beating him up. Out of all that, is going to come some of the most profound, I think, statements in the entire New Testament. He's going to talk about the weight of glory that we carry. He's going to say that we are the aroma of Christ to a world. He's going to talk about God's power being perfected in his weakness. He's going to talk about the fact Jesus literally becomes sin 
so that we might become God's righteousness. There are powerful statements in this book. It's going to be tough to sequence it, but we're going to go through. Now, walk with me, 2 Corinthians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, through the will of God, Timothy the brother, to the church of God in Corinth with all the saints who are in all of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch what he does in these five verses. It's even poor Greek, but it's his heart. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we're able to comfort those in all their affliction through the comfort which, which, with which we have been comforted by God. And that's really the crux of the passage. And he says, because the sufferings, just as they abound, the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so also the, our comfort through Christ abounds. If we're afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort as you endure the same sufferings which we also suffer. And then he finishes, our hope is confirmed about you because we know you're a partner of our sufferings and also of our comfort. It's interesting. Five verses, three through seven. He uses the word comfort ten times. Ten times. And that's interesting to me because it's a word in Genesis 1 and 2 you never hear. There's no comfort in Genesis 1 and 2. They don't need it. They enjoy each other perfectly. <clears throat> the world's perfect. Their relationship with God is perfect. They're subduing the planet. It's theirs. They rule. It is perfect. They don't need any comfort. When you and I die in Christ, we don't ever need comfort. Never going to lose anybody again. I'll always have a perfect relationship with the Father. <clears throat> the world around me will be hospitable. I don't need comfort. But in between Genesis 2 and the day I die, we all need comforting. It's not just the idea that we lose somebody we love. We somehow limit it to that, but that's not really the idea. Every one of us at some point needs some sort of comfort in this life. You can be a little college student from Crane, Texas, valedictorian. You come to Texas A&M, you go to your first class, take your first exam, you studied hard. You think you did well. You call your parents and say, man, I got this. You get your grade back, it's a C minus. You're just stunned. You need some comfort. And there are days when we all need that. I think I shared this story on a Wednesday night. There was a time in high school when my daughter needed comfort. She'd had three tickets in, in two weeks. So we had a little... Pray with Jesus meeting. It lasted a long time. I don't think I gave her any comfort on that night. I think my job was to rip every bit of comfort she might think she had in that night. The next morning, she's driving to school the way she always drove to school, doing one of two things. Or... She has a Mazda. This is key to the story. A little Mazda, and she rear ends a pickup 
about the size of my truck, but one of these big bumpers. Poor guy gets out. There's nothing wrong with his bumper. Her car, the hood, is like this. It's now an accordion. So she does the Greek word here. Same Greek word. It literally means to call for help. So she calls her brother because she knows. (laughs) That when she comes home, I'm going to kill her. So she calls her brother and has him meet her at the Toyota place. Because she thinks she'll trade this in on a Toyota. (laughs) So my son meets her up there and he says, Lauren, do you think that dad won't notice? (laughs) That there's a Toyota in the driveway instead of a Mazda? I don't care, I've got to trade it in. So she goes up there, of course the guy looks at the car and goes, honey, uh, I don't think so. But she's still seeking comfort. So she goes to Dent Magic. Dent Magic is a firm that takes little hail dents out of your truck. (laughs) She drives to Dent Magic and she says, can you fix this before my daddy gets home? I said, honey, we we don't do that. Okay. So then, not to be outdone, her third idea. She went to Walmart. To buy a hammer to try to hammer it out herself. (laughs) She was in desperate need of comfort. So we all have moments where we flat need to be comforted. It's not just the fact that somebody dies. We need to be comforted. Now, God always comforts his children. I want you to look at two verses with me. Now hold in 2 Corinthians I want you to go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, verse 25. Now, we serve one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. In Genesis 1, it says, let us make man in our image. There's this perfect unity, and they're all the same, one God in three persons. But watch how it works in our comfort. Look at Hebrews 7, 25. So here's what it says. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come through him to God because he always lives to make intercession for them. Every single day that you live, Jesus Christ is interceding to the Father for you. That's why you can't lose your salvation. I don't care what you do tomorrow. I don't care what you do today. You can't lose your salvation because no matter what you do, you mess up, you fail, and Jesus Christ stands before the Father and says, Father, I plead my blood on his behalf. You can't lose what you have through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he intercedes for us. When we need that comfort... He goes to the Father and intercedes. Now, look with me at Romans 8, verse 26. Look at Romans 8, 26. It says, in the same way, the Spirit comes to our aid in our weakness. We don't know how to pray like we ought, but the Spirit intercedes with unspeakable groanings two things about that you don't hear it but it is passionate 
the one who searches hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. When you need comfort, the Holy Spirit prays for you daily. So here's what you have. You have one God and three persons. You have God the Father, who every single day, God the Son intercedes for you. God the Spirit prays for you. How in the world can you not experience God's comfort? So the comfort's coming. Now, you have to wait. The Bible talks in Isaiah 40 about waiting for God's power. But you can wait with the absolute surety that if God the Son is interceding for you and God the Spirit is praying for you, I don't care what you feel like right now, God's comfort is on its way. The Trinity never fails. So I know the comfort's coming. Now, so I get comfort from God, and then according to 2 Corinthians 1, I'm to take that comfort, and through that, I comfort other people. You say, so God's comfort isn't enough? No. It's perfect. But other people's comfort adds to that comfort. You and I need other people. We need to be in community somewhere. We need other people in our lives. Now, don't misunderstand me by what I'm about to say. I don't care if you're on Facebook. Facebook can help some, but it will not do community-wise what brothers and sisters in Christ will face-to-face-wise. Can't do it. As a matter of fact, you've got to get comfort from people that believe what you believe about Jesus Christ. Because they can't be comforted without Christ. So you've got to be with people that have been comforted so they can deliver that comfort to you. You've got to have it. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying to get off Facebook. I've got a grandson, Wes, who's pretty much a celebrity on Facebook. The other day, Lauren, uh, she's taking him to see the blue man. And so he made her paint his face blue. Got on his drum set, and he's doing all the Blue Men stuff. He had 1.8 thousand views. If you added all mine up together, it's about 100. So I understand that, but it can be a little bit of a problem. He just turned five, but when he was four a few months back, we're sitting at the lunch table, me, him, Lauren, and Peggy. And he looks up at me, and he says, hey, Pops, you know what? I said, now what? He said, you and I are too cool for words. (laughs) So maybe Facebook is actually too comforting. I'm not sure how that works. But you need some people in your life. One of the reasons we do face-to-face groups and we do intergenerational we have people my age with college students because I want kids and young couples that are going through job questions, finance questions, marriage questions, relationship questions, to be with people in that group who have weathered those things and say, you know what, God did this in my life, he can do this in your life. We need each other. And I'm going to tell you, when I look at the presidential debates and who's running, 
I need some comforting. <laughs> it's the worst I've ever seen. On one side, we've got a pathological liar and a guy who, if he gets elected and enacts his policies, every one of us in this room will be broke. We've got three basically other guys over here, two of whom are so crude and nasty that their vulgarity was on display. I'm glad I don't have young children to have to explain to them what they were talking about in the debate the other night. It's disgusting. No presidential man should talk that way. And then we have a third guy. I'm going to make some of you mad. We have a third guy that's running that over six years gave zero to his church. Zero. And I sit back and think, one of those people is going to pick not just the next Supreme Court justice, but maybe three or four. So I'm telling you, seriously, I need some comfort. And so I know a couple things. I know one, that no matter who's president, Jesus is still king. So I'm good there. And I know that he's on his way here. And then when he gets here, I don't need any comfort. I don't need any more judges. I stand before the great judge, pure and clean because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when he comes, I'm okay. And I know that's coming. Now, until then, I take comfort not only in his return, but I take comfort in the people I know in my life. We all know Donald and Hillary and Bernie and Ted and Marco. Let me give you three names you don't know. Ethan, uh, Josh, and Matt. Ethan is a young man that I met in one of my PhD seminars. He's finished up his dissertation. He's defending it. His dissertation is on a better way to classify Hebrew verbs. <laughs> I told him, I said, man, that's some bedtime reading right there. <laughs> but there's a chance that I'll get to teach a D-men cohort this summer. And so we're going to walk through an Old Testament book and how to study it and how to preach it and how to, how to walk through it. And since my knowledge of Hebrew is limited to two things, I know two things in Hebrew, shalom and vaya or. It's Hebrew in Genesis, let there be light. That's all I know. I had a year and a half, that's all I got. So I caught Nathan, uh, Ethan on the campus. We're walking by and I said, look, I said, there's a chance I'm going to be teaching this class. Would you be willing? to sit down with me one day at lunch for maybe an hour or two and just walk me through what are the salient points in the Hebrew in this particular Old Testament book. He got this big grin on his face. He said, Chris, I would love to do that. So as a matter of fact, I'm teaching that book in the spring and I would love to sit down with you and walk through that. Here's a kid who's sharp, way beyond my intellectual acuity, that's willing to sit down and spend some time with me. Second guy is Josh. He's the pastor from MacArthur Boulevard. And Matt is a pastor in Greenville who came out of Central. And then Josh is a friend of most of our kids that came out of Central. My Taptil group that Peg and I will be hosting in April. And so we went to their churches. We went to several churches. Let me just say this, okay? I want to be careful here and nice. 
There's the old adage, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Let me add this. Absence and comparison makes the heart grow fonder. We went to some churches. Peg looked at me and said one Sunday, she said, okay, where are you taking me today? I said, apparently just to lunch, baby. That's where we're going. (laughs) Josh and Matt went to their churches. Great sermons. Passionate about Jesus. Took the word of God. Took a text. Walked right through it. Opened that book. Passionate worship. Great churches. So when I look at Ethan, Josh, and Matt, those kind of men bring great comfort to me because I know God's not done with anything in this world. And I feel the same about you. This is a great church. And I watch so many of you live it well. I watch so many men as great husbands. I watch so many women as great wives. I watch you raise your kids right. I watch our kids in Awana. I watch them in Upward. I see so much of what you do that I'm telling you. I'm comforted by who you are in Jesus Christ. So I, I'm a little bothered by the idiocy and the lunacy we have in our debates. But I'm comforted. Because I know I'm comforted by the truth that Jesus is coming for my life. And I'm comforted by your presence in my life. I'm telling you, it's a great church. And we're going to face a lot of days when we need comfort. We need each other. We need Jesus. And the great thing is, we have both. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these people. Thank you for who they are in you. Thank you for what they do in this community, what they do in this building. Thank you for what they mean to me. Thank you for the joy I had just getting back in town. And Father, bless this moment. And whoever you want to bring to you today, you speak to them. Those you want to bring into this building, into this body, you speak to them. And we trust you to make the difference today. In Jesus Christ's name. With your heads bowed, eyes closed never met Jesus Christ is a great day to meet him. God's calling you to be a part of this fellowship as he speaks to your heart. The staff and I are here at the front. You just need to kneel and pray. We're here for that. So as God speaks to your heart this morning, you come.